Prospect Podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. I am coming to you remotely as we all experience a new normal navigating the scourge of the coronavirus. It is all the more important to connect spiritually and to strengthen our hope in a God that has defeated all of our enemies, even the tiniest viral forms. So these next podcasts will all deal with helping people gain knowledge and faith about how to have hope in an ever-changing reality, but to also have faith in a God who is sovereign and is unchanging. And with that in mind, I want to bring in Pastor Alan Jackson. He is the senior pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, the mission of World Outreach Church is to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. His new book is titled Intentional Faith, Aligning Your Life with the Heart of God. So welcome, Pastor Jackson. Thank you, Lauren. It's good to be with you. Well, I'm so um, happy to have you here, and I'm sorry we're not meeting in person, um, but this is, like I say, the new reality. First of all, how are you doing? How is your family doing? I am well. We're in the Nashville area, and I think everybody here is adjusting to this season pretty well. Everybody in my family is healthy and doing our best to help everybody else stay healthy, but uh, we're looking forward to the end of this season, too. Yeah, um, and that, I think, is the great unknown, you know. Um, no one really knows when the end is near. I mean, is that part of the fear that's creeped into our lives? It is. You know, in um, the Bible talks about plagues from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And I think we've read that and we've imagined that was something from antiquity or like a Disney invention long, long ago and far, far away. And now that we're living in the midst of one, I think it's kind of recalibrating. We realize we're a bit more fragile than perhaps we thought. Yeah. You know, it, the, the first part of your book is called, it, you, there's a little line that says, life is harder than I would prefer, but God is good. Um, as it applies to the coronavirus, can you just expound on what that means? Sure. You know, I think uh, our, our life is comprised of things that we didn't imagine or didn't invite. We call those disappointments. You know, that little prefix D-I-S means without. And all those things that show up in my life without an appointment, most of them are unwanted. But I find in the midst of those unwanted things that there are uh, opportunities for hope and encouragement. You know, one of my favorite places to visit in normal times is a grocery store. I have lived in places where we didn't have grocery stores and I didn't have ease of access to food. So when I can walk in the grocery store and walk down a cookie aisle and there's 150 different kind of cookies, I mean, that is that is a spiritual moment for me. And so in this season, when I walk in the stores and the shelves are a little lighter than I would like them to be, it's a good reminder of the blessings of God in our lives that I've been taking for granted. And I, my, one of my prayers is that as we come through this, and I believe we're going to come through this, this is a season. It's like winter or fall when the leaves start to fall off the trees. It's not the end of the world. It's a season that signals a change. And my prayer is that this is a signal of a change that we'll be more grateful and more appreciative and even when we were able to break out of our social limits at the moment, we'll be more appreciative of the people around us and the, the good things around us. We are more blessed than we knew, and I think we were just taking our blessings for granted. So this may have been an unwanted intrusion and a disruption and maybe even have caused us to be frightened or threatened, but it's a season and it's going to yield. And we'll see springtime again and the flowers and the promise of new life and new hope and new futures. Over the next few weeks, though, I mean, we are in the season of Lent, and, you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, it is Easter, and no one knows at this point how Easter is going to 
proceed? And are we going to have Easter sermons online again, or will we be able to meet in person, in public, in the sanctuary to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So what are your plans? That's a great question. We are working on a whole menu of plans. We're working on a set of plans if we have the privilege of being together, and we're working on a set of plans if we have to be distributed. We had a whole, uh, we do multiple Easter services in a normal season, and we'll bring in some things for the children. So we're bringing all those people in, and we're recording pieces for the children. So even if we're not together, they'll still get to have some of the things that are familiar to them, and some because parents are desperate for some help with their kids these days too. Um, so, you know, we're making plans for both ways, but I think it's a great reminder. You know, we're all in our homes um, in lockdown with limited resources and quite a bit of anxiety. And the thing driving the whole thing is invisible. We can't see a virus. I mean, the best we can do is see an electron microscope photograph of a virus. Yeah. And we're just looking at the impact of that. And Easter is about something that we don't see, really, the spirit of God that brings life to us. And so I think in the, under the threat of the virus, we're going to celebrate that there is something we don't see that brings a greater life to us than the virus that threatens our well-being. You know, um, Pastor Jackson, you wrote something in your, in your book that I quoted here on my notes, and it says, we must engage in certain intentional responses and cultivate God-oriented attitudes in order to experience the relationship God wants to have with us. And I think that's one of the, one of the issues modern people have is that we've sort of cultivated something that was sort of um, passive. Um, and you're saying that, you know, you know, there are many people's faith is really not prepared for COVID-19. What can they do now that it is upon us? Yeah, that's a great point, Lauren. And that, that idea was really the, the genesis for the concept that, that gave birth to this book. And I'm a pastor. And so my interaction with most people is in that little window of time when they attend a worship service. And the realization in my life or anybody's is that a few minutes in church on a weekend or whenever you attend is not really what defines my life as Christian, nor fills my hope with the strength or the life or the vitality of God. I go to the gym. Well, I used to go to the gym. (laughs) I hope to return to the gym one day. But, you know, I'd go to the gym and if I go four or five days a week for an hour, it's not that hour in the gym that makes me healthy. It's the decisions I make the other 23 hours of the day that really bring health to me. And it's those decisions that enable me to go to the gym. And I think we've mistakenly had the idea that if we attend church when it's convenient, even if we do it with some frequency, that we have checked the box on our God account and we have a fully formed faith and a vital spiritual life. And in reality, that's as much a mistake as if I attend the gym and then live a really unhealthy life for 23 hours. So what the book is, is an invitation to people to help them imagine uh, what a life of faith would would look like, and that it's not restrictive, that it actually takes the limits off your life. So when we're in a season like this, when our routines are threatened and our lives are challenged by fear and anxiety, we have a resource. We have a strength that we have built up through routine behaviors that enables us to be steadfast and stable and hopeful in the midst of this season. So it, it's really kind of the spiritual equivalent of prepping. You know, it's, it's, you know, we haven't stockfile, stockpiled food and water, but we have created spiritual strength so that in a season of shaking, you're still stable. You know, that is so, that is so important. I mean, I love what your the titles of some of the, um, uh, the, the chapters are. You talk about intend to grow, intend to read the New Testament, um, intend to pray. And it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, you've got to make your relationship with God 
a priority. Like this comes first because it sets the mood for everything else. Is that what you're saying? That is the point. You know, so often I think we have a, a, a positive attitude towards God and that we're open to God, but we're a bit passive with it. You know, I hear people say to me frequently, and I say myself, you know, well, I'll, I'll do whatever God wants me to do if I just know what he wants me to do. Or, you know, I'll give God whatever God wants me to do. But we do that from such a passive place. And if I had that attitude about my personal hygiene, well, you know, I'll wash my hands if I happen to fall into the pool or mm-hmm. I'll brush my teeth if the toothbrush comes and reminds me. You know, I have to have the intent of maintaining my hygiene. If I don't have the intent, I'm dangerous to myself and other people as well. And unfortunately, spiritually, I don't think we've really had the intent. We've had this past, well, if God sends me a talking donkey, I'll answer. But (laughs) that's not how God works with most of us. And we have to have the intent to grow spiritually. We have to intend to read our Bible. I don't always intend it because it's fun. I intend it because I want the outcome. And that's what the book is, just kind of a general reminder to stop. It's, it's really a bit, I think, it's, it's, if it's not dishonest, it's certainly self-deceptive. Because yeah. I can say, oh, I want to you know, grow spiritually, but I'm not doing any of the things that would help make that a possibility. So without adding a burden to people's life, um, we, we want to give them uh, an opportunity to imagine it. In fact, we've created 100 Days of Faith. And they're, most of them are video-driven. They're little pieces I've done, or some of them are excerpts from a sermon. But, and what I'm saying is, look, I'll come do this with you. I'll sit down with you every day and have a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about today, what we could do to implement some of these things. It's free. They go to the website and get it. But it, uh-huh. So it's not just a book. It's really, let's take 100 days and kind of rewire the trajectory of our spiritual life. I don't want to preach at people. I want to do life with people. I mean, uh, you know, Paul writes, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think those are the, you know, we've, how many Christians have actually read that and memorized it. And yet now we're really called to live it. And that's kind of what you're saying. You've got, this is not something that's outside our normal life. This now has become our normal life. And it's like, this is what we have to tackle and use and put that verse to, to work, right? Yes. Normal life is unfair. Normal life is unjust. Normal life has things that arrive that we didn't want. You know, most of us quote that verse from Paul, I can do all things through Christ when we're trying to set a personal best in a marathon or we're praying God will bless our investments. But the reality, if you read Paul's story, he talks about five times he received 40 lashes minus one and he was shipwrecked and stoned. And Paul is using that in the midst of the difficulties of life. And I think what we want to build into ourselves is an awareness of faith, not just to help me get my way, not to make me more spoiled spiritually, but to help me to lead a triumphant life through all the ups and downs that life brings to us. Nobody makes a journey through time without disappointments and intrusions. The coronavirus is uninvited and unwelcome. Nevertheless, we're going to survive this season. But I don't want to just survive this season. I want to come out with a greater confidence in God, a greater hope, a greater understanding that my spiritual life is a valuable part of my person and not just an addition on a Sunday morning when I don't have something better to do. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a little break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, welcome back to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. You know, like um, a lot of people looking on combating the the coronavirus, you know, they're looking at scientists looking for a vaccine. And so it's like, well, the scientists will come up with everything. They don't need to, they don't, we don't need to pray. We don't need to pray because science will handle this. What do you say to that? 
I'll tell you what I've been saying to that. I, I watched the, one of the president's uh, news conferences the other day, and I was embarrassed because he had the scientific community there with all the things they're mobilizing, bringing the resources of our nation and, and their experience and their training to bear on looking for solutions. There were economic solutions being pushed forward. There were social solutions with at the local level trying to help people with their fears. There was this political maneuvering. And what was absent was a spiritual response. And that's the world I live in. So I wasn't pointing a finger at anybody, but I went, I came back, I got up early the next morning, came into my office. I wrote seven prayers and I started sending them out to the men I knew and said, let's pray these prayers every hour on the hour until we come through this conference. And I mean, they're professional people and busy people and they got lives and families. And I said, but this is too important. We can't leave the response to the medical community and the scientists and the politicians and the economists and the people in transportation to get us toilet paper in the stores the spiritual community has an assignment to play, and it's when we stand together as, as a unified body of people that we see God's outcomes. And I expect the solution to be delivered in medical or scientific terms, that we've found some medicine that we had on the shelves that is helpful in reducing the impact of this virus, or the, the data we had was incomplete, the virus is more fragile than we thought, and it doesn't live on a hard surface as long as we imagined. And when I hear those reports, I'll be grateful to the researchers that have done the hard work in the labs. But I'm also going to lift my hands and thank God, because he's the one that gives us the wisdom and the creativity and the insight and the discernment to recognize the solution. So it isn't whether or not I believe in science or I have faith. I'm a man of faith and a man of science. They work together beautifully. So, yeah, yeah it's a tough season, but I think it's time for the church to be the church. That's powerful. Can you speak to um, what the Bible talks about when I talked about in the uh, introduction about God's sovereignty? Um, a lot of people right now feel like God has abandoned them. Can you speak to that? I can. I'm not sure it'll make me a hero, but I'll, 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 I'll be honest with you. No, we need truth and love right now. I mean, I think that's... We do. And I want to when, I, when I say that I think it's about the judgment of God, I don't think it's judgment upon the wicked or the immoral or the ungodly. I'm, I'm talking to the people that I sit with on a weekly basis. I think we've imagined that we made ourselves secure and we've made ourselves prosperous and that we can provide a future for our children. And we live in a very isolated way. You know, I, I've had a privilege of traveling a bit in the world and we are so blessed we have so much freedoms and liberties and opportunities. We have problems, but on, on a global, from a global perspective, we are crazy blessed people. And I think we've imagined we've done it for ourselves. And I think God has given us this mild shaking as a reminder that we are more fragile than we thought, that our futures are really dependent upon the, the blessings and the kindness and the mercy of God. And I think if we can be awakened by this and turn our hearts back to God with a new sense of gratitude, we walk out in a better place. I think if we don't, you know, I feel like I'm in timeout. Yeah. I mean, God in his own way kind of set me in the corner and said, you know, you can't go about your normal routine and do what you want to do. And if I can learn the lesson of timeout, I'll come out of this in a better place. I understand I have a loving heavenly father that disciplines me and I get a new perspective. If I don't learn the lesson from timeout, he'll escalate. And so I'm trying to pay close attention. I'm taking time to pray every hour on the hour and ask my friends to do it. And the team I work with here at the church, we're praying more and you know, we're, we're trying to clean up our act. So I'm not pointing my finger at anybody else, but there yeah. is a God and he's sovereign over the earth. And if we ignore him, it doesn't work out so well. I mean, that's a theme in the Bible from the Gen. By the time we get to Genesis chapter three, the judgment of God has already been displayed. 
And when we get to the book of Revelation, the judgment of God is on display again, and everywhere in between it's on display. So I don't think we're immune from that in the 21st century. And we think we are. I mean, I was just thinking about um, what God must think of us that we program, you know, big sports events on Sundays and and Easter. And I mean, I was just thinking um, the last few years, the, the start of the of the big uh, car show, international car show in New York is on Easter Sunday. And I'm thinking yes. like, that's is God has got to like answer to that. I mean, is that part of our problem that we just think that God is, you know, we, we're kind of functional atheists in, in the sense of, of making life like that. Are you trying to raise my blood pressure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, there, there's a, I, I agree completely with your perspective, and I appreciate your willingness to say it. But there's something that gives me hope. In our nation, we have a heritage of faith. I just read a book called The Hundred Bible Verses That, that Changed America. Yeah. And we have a heritage of faith from the beginning of our nation until today. There were three attempts to settle America, and the, the one that succeeded was the one that was wrapped in faith. And from, to, from the beginning until today, we have this heritage. And in times of crisis and in times of difficulty, over and over and over again, we have turned to God in humility and prayer, and we have seen God intervene. Now, it's true. We have drifted. We have become so calloused and so casual. You know, we have banned faith from the public square. We don't want a nativity set on public property. The, the name of Jesus is less welcome than he's ever been in the history of our nation. Do I think we'll prosper if we continue that? Absolutely not. And I think the most culpable isn't, the, isn't, isn't our public officials. It is not our government leaders. It's the leaders and those of us that sit in churches, those of us that have led the churches. We're the conscience of the culture. And if we don't stand up for our friend Jesus, why would we expect the political leaders to do so? So, yes, it's our assignment. And it does grieve me how we have pushed God into the corner. And we want to use him like a decoration, but he's not really at the center of my life. If I treated my wife with the disrespect that we've treated the name of Jesus, uh, that relationship would not be in very good standing. So I think your diagnosis is accurate, but it doesn't leave me without hope. Because God delights in showing mercy. That's one of the most amazing parts of his character to me. And if those of us who are Christ followers will humble ourselves, we don't have to take our kids to the ball games to participate on Sunday. Let the soccer fields be empty. Yeah. I promise you that, you know, I've got my good friend, Charlie Daniels. He wrote a song called Long-Haired Country Boy. And in the song, there's a, there's a line that says, a politician wants another vote. Drunkard wants another drink of wine and a politician wants a vote. I promise you the politicians will line up with the hearts of the American people. And if we honor our faith and honor the Lord, the halls of Congress will be filled with people who do it. If we want faith to come from the halls of Congress and filter down to us, we're putting an unfair burden on them. That's not their assignment. That's the assignment of those of us that say we're Christ followers. Yeah. Um my husband and I watched one of the one of the greatest movies of all time on Sunday, Ben Hur, the nineteen fifty nine version. Um, yes, and just struck by the incredible faith, the power of the faith, the the reverence for faith in a movie that came out of Hollywood, and we just don't see that today. But just speak of how you know um, you know we can actually create better entertainment, things like this Ben Hur 
And if anybody has never seen it, the 1959 version, please, please get it now because it will be the most inspiring um, Easter movie you will ever know. Um, and not ever know, but certainly that Hollywood has put out. Um, just can you speak to that? Just how entertainment has changed um, when we used to see movies like Ben-Hur and Hollywood treated it with reverence and the, 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 the passion story. Yes. You know, I have a fantasy. When I get to heaven, I want to have a meal with Charlton Heston yes. and all the biblical <laughs> characters that he played. That will be a hoot. Because like, if, if you get to heaven and Moses is about four foot seven and has a squeaky voice and he doesn't look anything like Charlton Heston, it's going to be an awkward meal, but it's going to be fun nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, Hollywood is a mirror. You know, Hollywood and Washington, all these places where we have expressions of our culture, they're a mirror of what's in the heart of those of us that live on Main Street. And I I believe that we can see different things come out of Hollywood and different things come out of Washington if we can have a heart change in those of us that live on Main Street. We have to stop aspiring to ungodly things. We have to stop dreaming that our kids will be fabulously wealthy and famous. We have to start dreaming that our kids have incredible character and a vital faith. Because if we can put that in the hearts of our kids, they'll have the best possible lives. If they're rich and famous, they can still be miserable. And we have lost our compass in in, in our hearts in the heart of America. And I, I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody. I regret what I see. Because I think it's such an indication of our overall you know, spiritual health. But I, I'm also hopeful because I think I can, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, I can make a difference in the lives of people. And I'll see the difference played out in Hollywood and Washington and every place else. So, again, I, I think it's a desperate time because I think we're at a tipping point. I don't think we have the luxury of another decade on the trajectory we've been on. If we do, I think we will lose our freedoms and our liberties. But I also think that tipping points have tremendous potential for good. And if we can walk back our course and if we can in humility say, God, I'm sorry, I've discounted you. I have thought I could make myself secure and I have given you a trivial role in my life. If I'll intend to grow spiritually, if I'll intend to read my New Testament, if I'll intend to pray, if I'll intend to honor God in my home, I'll see outcomes that will bring blessings to a whole new generation of people. But it is a serious time. I have friends, pastor friends in Europe, and they'll say to me, uh, we have lost the memory of God. Yeah. Our children don't know who Noah is anymore. They don't know who Moses is. It only takes three generations to lose an idea. Um, wow. King David, Genghis Khan, and my grandfather— all used a horse as the fastest means of land transportation that was available to them. <laughs> so for for more than two millennia, just about any person you met knew how to saddle a horse or harness a team. Now, I can do that because my father was a veterinarian and I grew up around horses. Yeah. But I suspect the majority of the people we meet today would have a hard time saddling a horse or hitching a team of horses. You know, if yeah. my grandmother wanted some Nashville hot chicken, she would not have texted Grubhub. She'd have walked out in the backyard to the chicken coop and caught a chicken, wrung its neck, dressed it, and then fried it. Well, I doubt there are very many young people around us today that would be comfortable doing that with a chicken. And yet for millennia, that was considered standard operating procedure. 
it doesn't take long to lose an idea. And if we don't care enough about our faith to teach the generations behind us how critical it is, not that it's something quaint, not that it's an outmoded idea, but that it's essential to their well-being, and then model it for them and how we treat Sunday or how we treat God or how we interact with one another, then we are robbing them of their best possible future. So the intent to honor God in our homes and who we are becomes a critical part of our assignment as adults and as neighbors and as a part of society. But it's hopeful. We can do this. I want to. I want to just uh, before we wrap up. I want to ask you about just the idea that well, a couple of things actually, because one of the things you talked about, I think, in the book is very interesting. Is that we kind of have this idea, and you've kind of hinted at it before, that you know, oh, if God wants me to do that, then he will. Then he'll just do it. And there is this sort of elf on the shelf kind of relationship with God that a lot of us have. But there's also this other part that says, you know, you know. We're, we're, we're looking to God to bring to us the good life, you know, that we're missing now. And that's part of the coronavirus problem right now. It's like, okay, just get us back to our normal. But God's goal for us is usually quite different. What, what is it? That's a really good question. What I have come, the conclusion I've come to is God gives me a whole lot more latitude than I thought. I think what God wants from me is a relationship that he wants me to care about who he is and what he thinks and how he feels about my life in this world. But once I've established that, I think God says to me, what do you want to do? How do you want to live your life? He gave, he gave me a free will. And, and once I reconcile those two things, that I can have a relationship with God and then the greatest freedom to live my life I could imagine, that when God says don't, He's not trying to limit my happiness or my joy or my experience. He's warning me against destructive things. And I I think we've had the wrong imagination that a relationship with God was limiting, that it was about a don't do list. Well, that's as goofy as thinking that a parent's objective with their toddler is about a don't do list. Don't put your tongue in a light socket. Don't run with sharp objects. Don't drink the things that are under the counter in the kitchen by the kitchen sink. That parent's not trying to limit that child's experiences. They're trying to protect them from self-destructive tendencies to teach them how to be a healthy adult. And any place where God says to me, don't, he's not trying to limit me. He's protecting me. And once I reconcile that with this notion that he wants me to lead the fullest possible life, I don't want God on the shelf. I want to start my day saying, God, help me today. Help me see the greatest opportunities, how to invest my time and my energy, the people around me. And and that becomes, it's, it's like a treasure hunt every day. It's not a limit. It's liberty. And I just think we've had the wrong imagination of faith and of God. That's really powerful. Um, and could you just, um, just end with a, just a little prayer for people today so that... Uh to give them a little strength trying to get through this so they hear. Just I'd be fun. honored. Yeah. I'd be honored. And thank you for what you're doing. You are a beacon of hope to so many of us. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, nothing in this day has caught you off guard or surprised you or threatened you or intimidated you. None of us are hidden from you. In fact, you know every one of us by name and our location. And I ask for your mercy today. Lord, comfort those who are anxious. Bring peace to those who are frightened. Lord, those who have needs, 
I pray that you'll open doors of response, doors that they may not even imagine or have been available to them. For those who are sick, I pray you'll restore them and raise them up. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you give us a revelation of yourself that would set us free to walk towards you. Forgive us when we've been indifferent. Forgive us when we've been casual. Forgive us when we've denied you. Lord, we come in humility today to ask for your mercy upon us as a people. Restore us, and we will be restored. And we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Alan Jackson, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you, Lauren. It was a delight. Great. And thank you all for listening. God bless you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.